Palm Sunday. Uh, this week when I was thinking about, you know, what, Lord, what do you want me to, to preach? And I'll tell you, if that, there's, there's one thing good about being at a preacher's conference. Uh, you hear a lot of people say a lot of things. And something was said to me, and, and it really didn't have to do with Palm Sunday, but I felt like the Lord saying, this is what you want to say. This is what I want to say to the church. And so I think what you're going to hear today may be something that you haven't heard before. Because a lot of times on Palm Sunday, we're, and we're going to deal with this, we're going to talk a minute about Palm Sunday, but I'm going to go into what I believe that the Lord is wanting to tell to us today. I believe that every message from this platform can be applied to your life, okay? And I know a lot of people going to church and, and they go, well, that has no application. And I know there are some churches that the pastor gets up there and they're just reading something out of a book or, or maybe they're just reading scripture, but they don't help you apply it to your life. But let me tell you something, what I want to do, and anybody who speaks at this platform, or hey, how about our Sunday school class? We have had over 10 people in, in our life discipleship groups on Sunday morning in our adult group. I am so proud of Will and, and what he's doing in that group right there. Great job. And if you're, if you're not attending a, a life discipleship group right now, I encourage you to come. And if you've got kids, I encourage you. We've got, we've got youth and we've got kids, life discipleship groups, amazing teachers, uh, don't miss out on what doesn't cost you a dime. <laughs> Bring your, your family and, let, and enjoy those, those uh, times. But I believe that everything that is taught and preached from this platform should be applicable to your life, uh, but it should be the Word of God. It's not a self-help, but the Word of God transforms lives. It doesn't just help you, it transforms your life. And I know many of you have got a testimony about how you heard about the Lord and how you came to Christ. And, and some of you came to Christ when you were little like I did, and some of you came to Christ when you're a little bit old. Let me ask you a question. How many of you were adults when you came to Christ? Can you raise your hand if you were an adult? See, look around you. Do you, do you realize something here? When you, when you come to Christ and you're an adult, there's, there's something that's different. There's a passion in you because you didn't grow up in church. You didn't see that. And I'm not saying that people like Christy and me and Connie and some of us that grew up in church, that we don't have a passion for Christ. We do. But you, you experienced a little bit longer, a little bit deeper in your life what it's like out there. And one of the people that's so passionate is Will. You ever talk to him, man, he just gets excited. He has tears in his eyes, you know, and he's so excited. Why? Because he, he knew, he saw what happened to him. And when we start talking about Palm Sunday and Easter, that's really the, the first most important part of it is that Jesus came to change lives, to change lives. You get that? To change your life, to change my life. And we, when we put it in perspective, we say he came to change my life as much as he came to change anybody's. I tell people all the time, you know, God's love is so intentional that Jesus, he was so human at the same time God, when he was in the garden of Gethsemane, and he was on his knees, and nobody else was, Peter was sleeping over here. You know, the rock that he's going to build his church on is over here taking a nap. And Jesus is down on his knees, and he says, he says, Father, if you will let this cup pass from me, I do not want to do this. I'm going to put it in, I'm going to put it in regular terms. Father, I don't want to do this. Yeah, hey, have you ever had a kid say, I don't want to do this? I got four of them, so it's not been the first time. But I'll do it. I'll do it. Now, I don't think Jesus did it begrudgingly, okay, because Jesus loved you that much that he says, Father, I don't want to do this. But if there's no other way, as long as your will is done, 
That's what's important to me. That's what is important. And that's, and that's what Jesus did. His, his love is that intentional. And so Palm Sunday, turn over if you have your books or you can look up on the screen if you have your Bible or your, your app on your phone. And uh, Mark chapter 11, verse 1 through 10, for those keeping notes, Mark chapter 11, verse 1 through 10. You know, I, I learned something this week, and I think this is very interesting. Uh, a lot of times in a marriage relationship, you have two, you'd have two people there. One of them's the listener. One of them's the note taker. And I look around, and I see, <laughs> I'll see that on Sunday mornings. I go, that one's the listener, and that one's the note taker right there. Uh, I do take notes at times, and when I was younger, before I had a wife, I took notes all the time, and now it's so great because my wife takes notes all the time, so I go home and I relook at, you know, uh, what, what we did this last week, and I'm going, yeah, I got that, but then I go, but you didn't write this down, you know, they said this too, so I, I like to see that. So Mark chapter 11, verse 1 through 10 says this, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage uh, and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sent out two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village opposite you. As soon as you enter it, you will find a colt tie, uh, on which no one has ever set. Untie it and bring it here. If any, now, a colt, okay. This wasn't a stallion, all right? He says, if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has, has need of it, and immediately he will, uh, he will send it here. They went their way, found the colt tied by the door outside on the street, and they untied it. Some of those who stood there says, what are you doing untying this colt? And for those of you who haven't read the Bible a lot or read different translations, we can also say donkey here, okay? I'm, I'm trying to get you to understand. This thing is not some massive beast. This is, this is not, not something spectacular. What are you doing untying the colt? They answered just as Jesus had commanded, and they let them go. They brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments on it. He sat upon it, and they didn't, put a, they didn't put a saddle. You see that? They didn't put a saddle on it. They just threw their garments on it. Nothing special. They, they, uh, they threw their garments on it, and he sat on it. Many spread their garments on the street, and others cut down branches off the trees and scattered them on the street. And those who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that is coming in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna. Let me, let's just pray, can we? Lord, I just want to thank you. I want to thank you that you are the conquering king. You are our hero, God. Jesus, what you did for us was amazing. And so this morning I pray that, that you'll give me the right words for what you want to speak to the people Lord, and let those who have ears to hear, hear what you have to say to the church this morning, God. Thank you, Jesus. So we have Jesus. This is Palm Sunday. We have Jesus coming into Jerusalem. And there is, there's a crowd along the road as he comes into Jerusalem. And they're saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You see, they, thought, they, they saw Jesus coming. And even though he wasn't on a stallion or anything else, there was a belief in them. You've got to understand the Jews, when they're looking for the Messiah, it's a little bit different than what we think of, okay? When they're looking for a Messiah, they're looking for this conquering king. And if you remember the story when Peter, uh, in, in the, when Peter was, was there uh, at the garden with Jesus, and the soldiers came and Peter drew his sword and chopped the guy's ear off, and Jesus was nice enough to put it back on for him, you know? Uh, when he did that, He's like, no, this isn't what I'm, this is not it. 
See, Peter didn't even understand what was going on because Peter was looking at this conquering Messiah, this one who was going to overthrow the, the, those that have held captive Israel, the Romans. He was going to overthrow, and then he was going to set up his kingdom here on earth. They had had this prophesied for years and years and years, and here it is. John the Baptist had then come in after 400 years of no prophecies, no speaking from God. John the Baptist came in and said, make way. Make way for the person who's coming after me. Make way for him. I'm a voice crying in the wilderness. And so here's Jesus, and everybody's going, all right, yes, here he comes. Here he comes. And so they rejoiced, and they did that. What they didn't understand was that Jesus wasn't ready to do that just yet. He wasn't ready to do that just yet. Now, I want to say this. If you look at that first verse there, it says, when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives. See, they understood Jesus to be this conquering Messiah, even though that was incorrect. But what is so neat is he came from the Mount of Olives. When he returns to earth, he's going to step right there. He's going to come right back there. And at that time, he is going to be the conquering Savior. He is going to be the conquering king. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess on he- under heaven and earth that Jesus Christ is Lord and he is the Son of God. And there is a lot of religions out there that don't believe it. As a matter of fact, let me tell you something. There are people in the Christian realm that don't understand the authentic- authenticity of Christ's birth They don't understand that he came directly from God and that he is God and he is God's son. And when we don't understand that, then we have to throw everything else out. It's all got to go, every bit of it. All salvation, all freedom, all hope has got to be gone. Did you know there is no hope beside Jesus? There's no hope. Without Jesus, there's no hope. Go to a country, go to a communist country, and you will see they have no hope. When, when uh, Frank went to uh, Russia after, ever, after it had fallen and, and went over, over there to the frozen tundra that was not Green Bay, the frozen tundra of Russia, and he says, man, people were just snatching Bibles out of your hands. They needed, they needed it so bad. Why? Because communism gives you no hope. Atheism gives you no hope. When you believe that the state is in control and the state is God, there's no hope. Where do you turn to when somebody makes a mistake? You know, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never fails. He never, he's never gives up on you. He's always there for you. He's always calling you, and he wants to see you in his kingdom one day. He said, uh, the scripture says, I would have it that not one person would perish. But you want to know something? Will, great job this morning. But we have free will. We're not some drone, as you said this morning, that's just doing whatever God tells me to do, you know. Instead, he's given us free will. A decision that we get to make, are we going to serve him or are we going to serve ourselves? And when we serve ourselves, hey, we're serving somebody else anyway, okay? you got to believe that. So, so one day Jesus is going to come back just like he came out of the Mount of Olives there. One day he's going to come back. Now, <clears throat> this happened in the next week. Matthew chapter 27, verses 11 through 26. Matthew chapter 27, verse 11 through 26. It says, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, you've said said that. I think Jesus sometimes was funny, you know. (laughs) You said so. (laughs) 
came out of your mouth, you know. I know I am. What are you? <laughs> so you said so. When he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. Now, now I want you to put this in perspective. He was accused by the chief priests and elders. He was accused by the religious people. How about this? He was accused by the Christians of their day. They weren't Christians, okay. But what I'm saying is, have you thought about that? Have you listened to some of the things that are being preached and some of the things that are being taught by people that have been respected in the Christian community? And you got to go, whoa, wait a minute. Where's that coming from? He was accused by the chief priests and elders. You know, here's, here's something interesting. There was, there was a, a, a pastor who said, who was asked a question, and, and, and they say, he says, well, what do you think? Is this sin? And, and the pastor says, well, um, Jesus didn't really, it really wasn't that big of a focus back in Jesus' time, so, and Jesus didn't really talk about it, so I can't really even give an answer on that. And I was like, what? A megachurch pastor can't give an answer. We, we had, a, we had a, a popular singer, a popular Christian singer just a, a few months ago when, when asked, is, is this sin? And she, clearly in the Bible, does the Bible say this is sin or that's sin? And she goes, oh, I don't have any idea. I guess if you ever find out, just let me know. And it's like you're sitting there going, well, well wait a minute here. And she's a worship, she's a big worship leader in the Christian community, and I was like, well, where are you writing your music from if you don't know what the Bible says? All my ex, oh, never mind, that's just the wrong song. My exes don't live in Texas. They're not my exes, okay, but they do live in Texas. So the question is, now let me tell you something. Will over here, he knows some country music, so I've got to be careful. He'd love it if I got up here and done some country music on Sunday morning. Till the answer comes, got to keep praying. That's a good Christian song right there. We can do that one, Will. Anyway, back. back well, I'm derailing right here, right? We're just jumping off the track. Off the, <laughs> yeah. So he says, so we have these elders and these chief priests that accused him, and Jesus didn't say anything. He didn't give an answer to them. So Pilate said to him, do you hear how many things they testify against you? But he never answered a word. So the governor was really amazed. Think about it. You're being falsely accused of something, and he doesn't open his mouth. So the governor's like going, what in the world is wrong with this guy? I mean, in our day and time, we would just put him in an insane asylum. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to releasing to the people a prisoner of whom they chose, and they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. <clears throat> he was somebody that you didn't want hanging out in your neighborhood, okay? Barabbas is not that guy you want to hang out. He was a mercenary. So when they had gathered together, Pilate said, who do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus who is called Christ? For he knew that they had handed him over out of envy. Now, Pilate at this point, I believe, is thinking, well, they're not going to choose Barabbas. This guy's a mercenary. This guy doesn't have, this guy's friends, he's like MS-13. That's what he was like, right? <laughs> he's a bad guy, and you were friends with him because you could do things for him. That's what Barabbas was. So they're not going to want Barabbas, so I'll, I'll, you know, I'll offer him Barabbas. And then uh, his wife came to him while he was sitting on the judgment seat, and his wife sent word to him and says, have nothing 
to do with this righteous man, Jesus. For I have suffered much today in a dream on account of him. But the chief priest and elders persuaded the, cat, the, the crowd to ask for Barabbas, and not only ask for Barabbas, but kill Jesus. Do you realize here's Barabbas in prison, and they're not saying, hey, just give us Barabbas and put Jesus in this place. No, give us Barabbas and kill Jesus. The governor answered, which of the two do you want me to release to you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said, then, what will you want me to do with Jesus, who is called Christ? And they said, crucify him. Do you realize that crucifixion is the worst punishment ever concocted by man? There's no, there's no punishment worse than being cruci- crucified. I mean, the United States of America, there's no way. I mean, you can't even, you can't even put somebody in an electric chair. Uh, you got people that are going to court uh, over being killed over lethal injection because, well, is it going to make me hurt or not? Doesn't matter how many. Doesn't matter. How I killed thirty people, but is it going to make me hurt? But this is how bad this this crucifixion was. It was so bad. I mean, and he's dreamed up. Now here's something really cool. It was prophesied that he was going to be hung on a tree, and it was only during this time that this happened. This crucifixion happened during this time that Jesus uh, was born. So that's just a cool side note there, just to let you know. And they said, let him be crucified. And the governor said, why, what evil has he done? But then they cried even louder. They says, let him be crucified. And when Pilate saw that he could not prevail, but rather that unrest was beginning, he took water and he washed his hands before the crowd saying, I'm innocent of the blood of this righteous man. See to it yourself. You take care of it. Then the people said, well, his blood be on us and our children. Then he released Barabbas to them. But when he had scourged Jesus, when he had just beat him to death almost, he handed him over to be crucified. A week before, these people were going, Woo, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. A week later, crucify him. Crucify him. Why? Because... Oh, well, our religious leaders over here told us that that's what's supposed to happen. You know what? He, he, he hasn't, and I, don't you think that the word probably got around at this point? Hey, Peter, Peter, his right-hand guy, chopped that guy's ear off, and Jesus put the ear back on. What's wrong with him? Should have put the sword right through his chest is what he should have done with him. So they knew something was different, something was up. And so, well, the chief priest, man, oh, well, these are the spiritual guys over here. We need to be listening to them, right? How does this apply to us today? How does this apply? Let's go to the next scripture, and then we're going to go back to this. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 through 26. It says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his own soul? So Jesus said, if you want to have life, you've got to follow me and give up your life. You've got to take up your cross. And I have preached this before. If you've been here, you've, I've probably preached it since. But you've got to understand, when Jesus said, take up your cross, I don't know that we really understand that unless you know what the cross means, what it meant for him, and how horrible it was of a death for him. See, we take up our cross in the United States of America and we go, boy, this feels good. <laughs> I'm a Christian. 
I feel pretty good about this, you know. I'm going to follow Jesus. And then when a little trouble comes and, and we stumble a little bit or somebody kicks us in the knee, we go, well, that's not fair. Why would we do that? In America, it's even worse. Next Sunday is what we call Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, that is celebrated throughout the world, really. Next Sunday, there will be more purple, more purple, more people. There'll be more people in church next Sunday than any other time of the year. Some people refer to Easter Sunday as the Super Bowl of Sundays for churches because so many people show up. You know, people, people think, they, they say, oh, I'm coming to church, I'm going to go to church, I'm going to be in church. Next Sunday, churches all across the world, in, in, uh, whether it's Catholics or Protestants, like you know, evangelicals, they're going to be celebrating. They're going to be celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. And people are going to come and they're going to go. Some churches are going to have a great drama. Some churches are going to have great music. Some churches are going to have a special message. But everybody's going to be doing something because it's Easter Sunday. Easter egg hunts and everything else. And I'm not saying any of this is wrong. I'm not saying that reaching people for Christ is wrong. If you want to have a drama, have a drama. I'm not, I'm not saying that. But the point I want to get to is this. The Sunday, the week before Jesus was crucified, the week before they were throwing out branches, saying, oh, this guy's the man. A week later, they say, no, he's not the man. We want him crucified. Next Sunday, people are going to come and go, oh, Jesus is the man. Oh, we're going to come and we're going to celebrate the resurrection of Christ. We're going to celebrate and we're going to hunt Easter eggs with our kids and we're going to do this, that, and the other. And the week after that, they're going to be like, Maybe Jesus wasn't that important after all. Why? Because they're not going to show back up to church. In the United States of America, I've been saying this. In the United States of America, we see, uh, uh, we see sin sweeping over our nation at a record rate. 20 years ago, I was 20 years old. 20 years ago, uh, almost 20 years ago, 9-11 happened. The World Trade Center uh, towers fail. The next week, the next six weeks, church, 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 church. Today, we have 100 to 200 churches a week that are closing their doors in the United States of America. Do you get that? One to 200 a week. Churches can't find pastors. People won't step out in that call anymore. Why? Because it's not cool. It's not the hip thing. As a matter of fact, I may have to preach or teach something that's not cool enough for everybody else. And then what if they're not going to be my friends because I preach that or I teach that? We have people who are saying, well, I can't go to that church because, because you know, uh, they believe the Bible fully, so I've got to find another church. And we're seeing a denomination we're seeing denominations split because you've got the group that wants to stick to the Bible and the other group that wants to try to be cool. And you want to know what's happening with those, those denominations, especially the ones that split off into that portion where they don't have the Bible anymore? They're just dying. And no longer can we, can we say, oh, we're a Christian nation like we used to. 20 years ago, amazing, 20 years ago, I never in my life would have thought, just in a 20-year time period, where we would be today, today. 20 years ago, people went to church multiple times a week because they loved it. Now they go to church once a year just because they have to or they feel like they have to or maybe they go at Christmas or Thanksgiving or something. 
Somebody's baby gets dedicated. How can we say that we are any different than those chief priests? How can we say that we're any different than those people? Oh, okay, so we come and we celebrate Christ, but what do we do the next week? And when you come next week, and, and you know, maybe I'm preaching to the choir, but sometimes we need to, be, we need to hear this so that we can take it out and, and we can minister to other people about this because people are going to come in. I pray we, I pray we have pe- extra people next week, and I pray that they come to Christ, and we're going we're, we're gonna to help them, uh, disciple them, and get them to where they need to be with the Lord. That's what I want. I want more teachers. I want more singers. I want more prayer warriors. I want more about all of it because let me tell you something. The Bible says that a cord of one strand is easily broken, but the more strands you put together, have you ever taken, have you ever taken a, a rope and you, you know, and then you start putting them together and you start putting them together, all of a sudden it becomes stronger and stronger. You know, we may be small, but the Bible says where two or three are gathered together in the name of Jesus, he's there. Where two or three agree touching anything, it will be done for them. That's all that it requires. But let me tell you something. The bigger we can be, and I'm talking about the bigger, the, the, the greater number of people that are on fire for God, the greater chance we have of reaching more people for Christ. Why? Because it's the multiplication, that, it's the multiplication of it. You know, one person... And one person, I've told you this, right? One person ministering to one person. They get saved. Now, those two people minister to one person. They get saved. Before you know it, it just expands out. So it's, it's, it's not about, I'm not talking about numbers and seats. What I'm talking about is people who love Jesus. Because next week, the church throughout the United States, throughout the world, is going to be filled up with people. But do they love Jesus really? These people acted like it. These people acted like they loved Jesus. They acted like they were behind Jesus. But the next week, where were they standing up for Jesus going, whoa, wait a minute, let's don't. And I know somebody might be sitting out there going, but didn't Jesus have to die? So that Yes, but the point is they still could have stood up for him. Even Peter himself had a little struggle, as we know. He denied Christ three times, and he was one of Christ's closest friends. Christ was the first pastor, real pastor. (laughs) His closest friends rejected him. Let me tell you something. Even though people come, and even though we have that going on in the United States, what can come of that if we take a different approach and a different attitude towards it? We can see those people get on fire for God. And so here's what I want you to do this week. Here's what I want you to begin to pray this week. Lord, Don't just pray for our church. Pray for other churches. Lord, those people who show up, we pray, God, that there will be a a revival fire that just starts to burn in their soul so that when they walk out of that church, they're not going to be like, well, that was great this year. Then I go, man, uh, maybe I need to go back next week. I don't care. I don't care if they're Baptist. I don't care if if they're Pentecostal. I don't care if they're independent. I want to go back next week. Pray for those pastors. Pray for those worship teams. Pray for those teachers. Pray pray for those greeters. Let's begin to pray and say, God, let's see a change. We want to see our country change, but we want to see lives change. And no matter what happens to this country, nothing good can come, and nothing good can happen in this country until we get on fire for God. Bottom line. Otherwise, we rely on the state. We rely on the government to do that for us. We rely on the government to... to, uh, to legislate all morality and decide. But let me tell you something. When you start to do that and you start letting man make the decisions instead of God, 
and you start taking the Ten Commandments out, and you start taking Scripture out of it, and you start erasing it from our history, now all of a sudden, they get to decide what's right and wrong. They get to decide it's okay to kill a child all the way up until the day that it's born. Do you, do you get that? New York just voted on that just a few weeks ago. We've got other states that are trying to push that. There's a, even people out there that think that you should have until their children is two, year, until they're two years old to make the decision whether or not they live or not. Hey, what's, the, what, what's the difference? You want, to know any, you want to know more about this, you can talk to my mother-in-law. She worked in a crisis pregnancy center for a long time. Go watch Unplanned. I haven't watched it yet. I'm going to watch it. Go watch Unplanned. It's a story of, of the abortion industry in the United States. I've talked to many people who went and watched it, and they say, man, it'll wreck you when you hear what's really going on. Next week can be a week of revival in people's life. So instead of coming in next week excited that people are showing up to church, excited that we're, okay, we'll hunt some eggs with the kids after church is over with, oh, excited that we can shake a few more hands, instead say, man, God, who, who can come in? Maybe it's a drug addict that comes in that doesn't look or smell good. I'm still going to be so excited that they are here because I want to see their life changed because, Lord, you saw fit that my life was changed. I want to see their life changed for the glory of God.